The other day, I heard noises coming from Connor's iPad, and I wasn't sure what it was, and I went and took a look. He was watching videos on YouTube. He does that a lot. He knows how to do that. He pulls up YouTube and watches these videos, but this day he was watching first-person videos of roller coasters. Have you ever seen those? where somebody takes a camera and sets it on the front of a roller coaster and you get that first-person image of all the twists and turns. He loves watching those videos. He, I don't know how he finds them, but he goes out and finds these videos of, of roller coasters. Connor loves roller coasters. I mean, that might surprise you, but the kid loves roller coasters. Just about every summer, we go to Holiday World and he will drag us to the roller coasters. He wants to get to those roller coasters. Now, I... I enjoy roller coasters as much as you can with a 51-year-old body. I, I learned that roller coasters hurt. The wooden ones especially, they hurt a lot. But when I sit next to my boy and I, I watch the joy on his face, it makes it all worthwhile. I don't mind roller coasters. You know, when it comes to a roller coaster, I can handle, I can handle the ups and the downs. I can handle the twists and the turns. I can even handle when everything goes upside down. But there's one thing... I do not like on a roller coaster, and that's when it gets dark. There's always, almost always a point in the roller coaster ride where you go to a tunnel, you go through a tunnel, and you're just there for a split second. But in that time, it is completely dark, and I don't like that. And, and, and it's just a second or two, and you can look ahead and see the light at the end of the tunnel. But in that moment, I am absolutely certain there is no way my head is going to fit through that hole. And if I am doing that thing where you're riding with your hands up in the air, forget it. I pull those hands down as quick as I can because I know I'm going to lose my fingertips or even worse when I hit that moment. I do not like it when it gets dark. It makes me uneasy. It makes me uncomfortable. It, it makes me scared. And I think for most of us, we can agree that we can handle life's ups and downs. We can handle the ups and downs. We can handle the, the twists and turns. We can probably even handle when everything seems to go upside down. But when things get dark, that's when we have a problem. We hit those moments of darkness, those moments of depression, those moments of despair, and we feel lost. We feel like all is lost. And in those moments, when things get really dark in life, we might even wonder, where is God? Has He abandoned me? Am I on my own here? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. This present darkness. I don't know about you, but whenever I've read that verse, whenever I've, I, I've read that, that passage and come to that thought, I've always thought about this present darkness as just being the world itself. That the world around us is a, is a dark place. The world around us is turned against the light of God and the light of His love. But maybe, maybe we need to take that verse more personally and understand that Paul was experiencing a present darkness in his life and that for us, for each one of us, there comes a moment where it's just dark in our lives, where, where we find ourselves lost and the ups and downs of the ride are just too much and the darkness of life just kind of consumes us. We think about the darkness and I think you have to ask yourself, what am I going to hold on to when the darkest moment hits? 
What am I going to hold on to when I hit that darkest moment? And that's a question you've heard me pose a lot here. I've, I've said this over and over again. Everybody gets one really bad day. You don't know when it's coming, but there will be one really bad day. What are you going to do when that hits? How are you preparing yourself today for that one really bad day? There's a lot of places we can look to for answers. I think there's a lot of people around us that we can look to as examples and say, I want to handle my bad day the way they handled their bad day. I want to come through like they did. They had a a strength and a confidence and a faith that I really want when things go bad in my life. But, But I think one of the best places we can go is the Bible. And I think one of the best examples in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. For the last couple of years, honestly, it's been a couple of years, I've been trying to preach Ephesians to you. I've been wanting to go back through Ephesians again, and it's been a long time since we've looked at Ephesians. I've been wanting us wanting to take us through this letter. It's a powerful message. Ephesians is, a, is an amazing letter. It's a powerful message of who we are in Christ, of who we are as individuals, as, as what we have come through, and of who we are together as a church and the power that, that God has, has entrusted us with as His church. It's a powerful message of how we hold on to each other and how we hold on to our faith. But I think we make a big mistake when we read the pages of the Bible and divorce it from the hearts and the lives of the people who who wrote it, people who experienced it firsthand, the people who were there. We make a big mistake when we divorce the words from what they were going through. And one of the places that is very apparent is in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Before we can understand Ephesians, we have to understand Paul. And to understand Paul, we don't need to turn to Ephesians, we actually need to turn to 2 Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles with you today, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11. through If you want to use those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 954, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's in this passage where Paul is reflecting on the trouble that he had in Asia. What does he mean by Asia? He's talking about Ephesus. What do we know of the trouble that Paul had in Ephesus? Well, if we were to go to Acts chapter 19, and we're not going to do that today, but we might do that later. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is preaching in Ephesus in the middle of town, and a riot breaks out. A riot breaks out because of what he's preaching. And Luke tells us that the entire town turned against him. Can you imagine what that would be like? This entire city turning against Paul. We know that from Acts chapter 19. Through little context clues, for little hints that we have, we also kind of come to the assumption that the first time Paul was in prison was probably in Ephesus, and that he may have written some of his prison epistles from Ephesus. But whatever else happened to him, the man who comes out of Ephesus, the man who comes out of that experience, is not the same man who went in. His hope looks different, his faith looks different. He holds to his Savior differently. This is a man who has been tested. And I want you to listen to what he he wrote about that experience beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises 
the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I want you to hear those words in verse 8. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Feel the weight of those words. Those are heavy words. Feel the weight of those words. We despaired of life itself. You know, if you and I, if you and I met at your home in my office somewhere and, and we got to talking about life, and if you were to say to me, Brett, I just don't know how I can go on. I am despaired of life itself, we would have a serious talk about what you were contemplating. If you said, I cannot go on, I despair of life itself, we would have a serious talk about whether you were contemplating ending it, whether you were contemplating suicide in that moment. And we dare not minimize this. You, know, you, you can't just read this and go, oh, come on, that's the Apostle Paul. That's the guy who wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. That's the guy who told us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's the guy who saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. But in this moment, in Ephesus, this man was hurt. This man felt abandoned. He was alone. He was in a very dark place. And in that moment, death seemed preferable to going on the way things were. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been to that place. You've been to that dark place. You have been to a place where you could say along with Paul, I have been burdened beyond my strength. And when you got to that place, some very well-meaning Christian who loves you very much, I guarantee some well-meaning Christian said, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can bear. That's not what this verse says. That's, that's a lie. And, and I would never say that to you, but I, and I would never give you easy, trite answers to, to your pain, but I will call you to look beyond yourself. I will call you to take the focus off of yourself. Beyond your pain, beyond that moment, I would call you to look to the One who is greater than your pain. Because that's, that's exactly what Paul does with his pain here. It made him look beyond himself. And like Paul, I would tell you that instead of, of trying to find a purpose, instead of trying to find a purpose in your, in your pain, instead of a purpose, you look for a person. You look for Jesus. You know as well as, as I do that in the midst of horrible circumstances, in the midst of, of loss and pain and sickness and heartbreak, uh, one of the first things we do is we ask why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Or, or if it's somebody that we love, why is this happening to them? If it's a child, we ask, why on earth is a child going through this? Why are the people that I love suffering? Why am I suffering? I tell you, you will never find a why that's big enough. You will never find a why that makes suffering okay. You'll never find a why that satisfies or, or makes the pain worth bearing. And for Paul, he doesn't find a why. He finds a who. He finds Jesus. He finds Jesus in, in a deeper and stronger way than he had ever known Him before. He says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt like we had received a death sentence, but that was, done, but that was to make us rely 
not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God who, who raises the dead. This was not news to the Apostle Paul. Paul knew that God raises the dead. Paul had encountered the risen, resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. That was his message. 1 Corinthians, if you went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that the resurrection of Christ, that, that Jesus has been raised, that is foundational to our faith. He says, without the resurrection, our, our faith is worthless, our preaching is useless. He says, without the resurrection of Jesus, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. He also wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, he said, if I fought wild beasts, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, but Christ is not raised, then I, I wasted my time. Now, I want you to understand, Paul did not fight literal wild beasts in Ephesus. Paul was not a lion tamer in Ephesus. He didn't wrestle alligators. He's talking about the spiritual battle, the, the, the turmoil that his life was in, he, the, tor the torment he was in. He says that was like wrestling a beast, an animal. That struggle, those beasts that he felt were against him, those caused him to cling to Jesus all the more. They caused him to, inter to internalize the power of the resurrection of Christ and come to the realization that, well, you know, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, and I know He can, then He can take this death sentence, what feels like a death sentence on my head, and He can resurrect me. He can bring new life in the midst of this. He can give me the strength to overcome my struggle, my fear, my depression, my despair. The key to that isn't the pain itself, though. It's in learning to hold to Jesus in the midst of the pain. I don't think Connor really likes roller coasters all that much. I mean, every time we go to an amusement park, he drags us to the roller coasters. I don't think it's the roller coasters. And this is going to make me sound like I'm a little full of myself. Surprise. Uh, I think he likes me. I think he likes the fact that his daddy is sitting next to him on the roller coaster. And I think that that's what Connor likes about roller coasters. Grace, put that picture up there. Look at that. That's us at Holiday World at what was at one time the fastest roller coaster in the world. And that is actually taken during the dark part of the ride. They, they put you in that tunnel and then all of a sudden there's a flash. They take a picture of you and then they try to sell it to you for like 20 bucks. And uh, we actually bought this one. This was the only one we bought. But, but you look at him. He, he smile. Look at that smile on his face. Why is he smiling? It's not about the roller coaster. It's because his daddy is next to him. And he knows that in the midst of this big, scary ride with all kinds of ups and downs and twists and turns, daddy is not getting off the roller coaster and leaving. He's going to stay there. Now, I have to say this. I have permission to show you another picture. Grace, show the other picture. That's mommy. And look at Grace, though. Look at Grace. Grace does great anywhere. You put that kid in any kind of mess and she's going to do all right. But look at Mommy. She is not happy. And the only reason Mommy went along with this is because she said, she looked at the roller coaster and she said, you guys are going to get up there and he's going to change his mind. I need to go with you. So when he changes his mind, I'll walk him back down. And she walked through that whole line thinking, any second now he's going to change his mind. And he never changed his mind. And then finally, there we were, getting on the roller coaster. And she said, I'm never doing that again. We don't set Connor next to mommy on the roller coaster. We set Connor next 
to Daddy because that's how that works. Daddy, you can go ahead and change the picture, but Daddy, Daddy's not going to leave. And so he can cling to Daddy. He can even laugh with Daddy in the midst of some very scary things. I'm there, and he knows it's going to be okay. I am not going to leave him. That's where Paul got in his relationship with God. He knew in the midst of that dark moment, God was not going anyway. Paul says, it taught us to rely on Him. It's where Jesus went in the garden. He goes to the garden to pray the night before His crucifixion, and He prays, this is the way I would like it to go, but even if it doesn't go this way, not my will, but Yours, Lord. And He held to His Father even tighter on His way to the cross. You're not going to find a purpose in your pain. You're never going to find a why that satisfies you, but I promise you will find a who. Paul may have despaired of life, but he did endure, and he endured the same way that you can. Keep your heart on the One who is greater than your pain. Keep your heart on the One who is greater than your pain. You know, as I've read through Ephesians and and as I've read through Paul's other letters, this is a man who has changed. Uh, Compared, if you compare the letters before Ephesians to to the letters after that experience, if you compare the book of Acts before chapter 19 and then the man we see after chapter 19, this is a man who has changed. He has endured much and he has had to relearn what it means to trust in God. And, And by the time he writes his letter to the Ephesians, he sounds exhausted. He, uh, but a weight has been lifted, but he still sounds exhausted. But you know, that's, that's what pain does. It changes us. It, it always makes this indelible impression on us. And, but the question is, what are you going to hold on to in the midst of the pain? Are we going to look just to ourselves? Or are we going to keep our hearts on the One who is greater? And you hear that in Paul's resolve that he comes to after the despair. In verses 10 and 11, he says, He delivered us. God delivered us from such a deadly peril And He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. And then He says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. It's one thing to make it through today's pain, today's struggle, today's darkness, it's another thing to have confidence that you're going to make it through tomorrow's, not knowing what tomorrow can bring. Paul had that confidence. If you look again there in verse 10, he says, on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You don't get that kind of hope without going through the pain. You don't get to say that until you've been through that dark moment. You will never have that kind of confidence until you have been pushed to the edge. But on the other side of that, The other side of that is that you can't find that kind of confidence on your own. You'll never find it without going to the edge and going to the edge with someone. You hear that in Paul's words. It's not just about the hope that he has because of the presence of God, but he says there in verse 11, he says, you also must help us by prayer. The way it's stated there, it's an assumption. It's an assumption. He assumes that the Corinthians are going to be praying. It's almost like, well, you're going to be praying for us, of course. You're going to be praying for us. It's stated as an assumption. We're not going to get through this without your prayers. And as beaten down as Paul was, as unsure as he was about life itself, 
he was absolutely certain of the presence of other believers who were going to be praying for him. Other believers who supported him and loved him. That's an important truth. But can I simply say that that's a lot easier to come by if you're actually committed to being here? If you're actually committed to being among other believers, if you're committed to saying there's something special that happens when a church gets together, not just the songs, not just the sermon, but there is a heartbeat here that I need to be in tune with. Whether everything in that moment of my life is perfect, whether, whether the sun is out and everything is perfect, or in that moment it is dark and everything is falling apart, I will either find the strength that I need for today or I will find the hope that I need for tomorrow. When things fall apart, when I'm in despair, I know these people love me. I know they care for me. I know they pray for me. I love that Paul was honest enough to admit his pain. I love that he was honest enough to be open about his despair and his dark thoughts and his dark moments. I love that he invited us into that pain, but that he also invited us into his hope. Because we've all been there, I think. And, and, and far too often, we've, when we've been there, we've felt alone. You know, you go through all of this and then you turn over just a couple of chapters. It's just one page over in my Bible and you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And beginning there in verse 16, listen to what Paul writes. Verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not lose heart, he says in verse 16. We do not lose heart. You don't get to say that until you've been pushed into the darkness. In just three chapters, he goes from we were burdened beyond our strength to these are just light momentary afflictions. You hear the difference? We were burdened beyond our strength to it's just a light momentary affliction. You don't get there without learning to rely on God who raises the dead. You don't get there without learning to keep your eyes on the eternal. And that's what Paul's going to take us through as we go through Ephesians. That's what he's going to take us through over the next months, and it's going to be months, as we dig in and as we learn what it means to live as light in a world of shadows, as we learn how to face the darkness of our lives and the darkness of our world, and as we learn to pray the prayer that Paul prayed, coming through all of that darkness, coming through those moments of despair, coming through suicidal thoughts where he would have ended it all if he could have. He learned to pray a prayer. I want to pray it for us as we stand together now. Hear these words as I pray them from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever 
and ever. Amen.